0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 91. It's titled Demography Rules. Today's episode topic was a suggestion by Kishan. Kishan. I think that's how you pronounce it, is a member of the Money for the Rest of Us Hub, and he sent me a link to an article by Bill Gross. Bill Gross is a bond manager that works for Janus Capital. He's been there maybe a couple years. He's about 71 years old. For many years, though, he was the chief investment officer, chief investment strategist at PIMCO, which is a very large bond manager, renowned bond manager, one of the first actively managed fixed income managers in the United States. We used them extensively at my old firm, and Bill would write a monthly investment outlook, which was really a must-read in the industry because he was always very very forward-thinking and taught me that you could actually tell stories and give interesting analogies and examples within investment writing. Investment writing did not need... To be boring. Well, Kishan sent me this link, and I I read the article, and and Bill kind of kind of worried, kind of grumpy. He's he's concerned, and we're going to talk a little bit about his concerns today. On the Money for the Rest of Us Hub, I do a weekly premium podcast called Plus Episodes. That's every Saturday, and I told Kishan that I would discuss this article in that episode and as i began to read it i realized that it was pretty there were some heavy issues there that i wanted to address in the regular podcast hence that's what we're talking about today and the concerns that bill gross has with demography demographics and why demographics matters in terms of economic growth the return for the stock market social security and things along those lines. Before I get to that, though, I got an email from Jillian this week, and I wanted to clarify some things. She she mentioned she would read a comment on a recent podcast. I think I read a review from a listener that mentioned they appreciated all the documents or resources made available with Money for the Rest of Us. And as Jillian was kind of looking for where the those were at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.net, she couldn't couldn't find them. And because they're sort of dispersed within the notes. And that's where I wanted to clarify kind of the difference between, well, wh- where, where is everything at? When you sign up for my free Insider's Guide, you can, you can do that at moneyfortherestofus.net or you can text the word Insider, I N S I D E R, to the number 44. Two two two. That's 44222. When you do that and you confirm your email, I send you a welcome email with links to all the free valuable content that I've mentioned in earlier episodes. Things such as the peer-to-peer lending bonus material where I compare or show you expected returns for doing peer-to-peer lending, like with Lending Club. I have a a link there for a free auto lesson, what would happen if Greece exited the Eurozone. There's a link to a spreadsheet, how to calculate your investment returns, and a video there. There's the Mind the Gap spreadsheet to also help you sort of with some retirement planning. And there's also a link to Am I Saving Enough to Retire Early spreadsheet where you can also work through that. All those resources are free, and you can access them by joining the Insider's Guide. So that's separate from the hub. The hub is premium content; it's paid content, includes the plus episodes, but it's really for those that want more specific guidance on asset allocation, on what's going on right now with investing in the economy. Because the Money for the Rest of Us podcast, it's an evergreen content. I try to to capture bigger themes. Timeless themes, because many people discover the show even now. Every week I get, get emails from people that just found the show, and so they're going back and listening to episodes that I published 18 months ago, and so that needs to be more evergreen content. But there is free content available through net. You can get that by joining the Insider's Guide. Text the word INSIDER to 44222 or go to net. So... Let's talk about Bill Gross, what he's worried about, and I'm going to start with an example. I live in a, a college town, and you go to the grocery store in this college town, and the first thing you notice is there are a lot of young people that live in our town. In fact, our county is the third youngest county in the United States. The median age, the middle age, half the people are younger than us. Half the people are older. The median age is 22.6. If you contrast that where my sister lives, I have a sister that lives in New Jersey near Manchester Township. It has a median age of 65. It is one of the oldest populaces in the country. So when you drive through my town, what you see are a lot of inexpensive fast food restaurants because that's what these students can afford. But when you drive down the main street within Manchester Township, It's filled with doctor offices, rehab centers, medical transport businesses, and sit-down restaurants. My college town has an excess of labor with many students unable to find jobs, whereas many of the workers in Manchester Township come from outside of the township in order to work so they can provide services to the retirees that occupy that sound. My town has more producers than consumers. Manchester Township has more consumers than producers. There is a measure that demographers use called the dependency ratio, and you can calculate it by dividing the number of individuals age 65 and over, typically considered kind of retiree class. You divide them... By those who are in a, the traditional working age cohort, so age 15 to 64. So you're div- dividing essentially the re- number of retirees by those that are working. And that's called the dependency ratio. And it's really the measure of retirees per worker. So the dependency ratio in Manchester Township would be very, very high because there's a lot of right- retirees per worker, Whereas in my town, that dependency ratio is very low. Let me give you a hypothetical. What would happen if, for whatever reason, healthcare workers in Manchester Township were unable to get to work? They just couldn't commute. They couldn't get into the township to work. And the residents of Manchester Township couldn't actually leave the township in order to get their healthcare issues resolved. What would happen? Well, the dependency ratio of retirees to workers would skyrocket. Suddenly, you would have all these people that needed health care, but not as many people to provide it. And so the price of health care would climb, and wait times for appointments would be very, very long. Now, that's the scenario that Bill Gross, the bond manager, is worried about in his most recent investment outlook. If you remember my insider's guide, I sent you the link. To that, or go to net episode 91, and you can find it. His concern, though, is not for sort of region against region. He's concerned about the overall country, particularly the developed world, the US and Europe. Here's his quote Future health care for boomer seniors can only be provided by today's millennials, and even doctors yet to be born. We cannot store their energy today for some future rainy day. Nor can we save food, transportation, or entertainment for anything more than a few years forward. Each of those must be provided by a future generation of workers for the use of retired boomers. Bill Gross is not worried about how seniors will pay for health care and other goods and services. And he's not concerned about how high tax rates will be on millennials in order for the federal government to pay Social Security, and Medicare benefits. Those are bookkeeping, those are accounting issues. He's worried more about the fundamental question, will there be sufficient workers to provide needed services and produce goods? What will that dependency ratio be like? Will there be a lot of retirees per worker? And if there's not enough workers to be able to produce the services the retirees need, then the result could be inflation because capacity is constrained. There's not enough capacity to provide goods and services, just like in the example that I gave of Manchester Township. Now, Gross quotes the dependency ratio for the U.S. He says it's expected to increase from 025 today to 0.35 in 2034. That means going from one retiree for every four workers to approximately one retiree for every three workers. Now, that's a big jump, but it's not nearly as large as other developed countries. In Japan, the dependency ratio is expected to climb from 0.43 today to over 0.6 by 2034. That's two retirees for every three workers. Dependency ratios are also expected to climb significantly in Europe. So what should be done about this potential mismatch between producers and consumers? Should we be worried? Bill Gross is really, really worried, and at least it conveys that in his piece. I tend to not be as worried. Now, I do worry and an example, uh, and, and I think every retiree and near-retiree worries and had very similar worry that I had over the holidays. I was sitting in the theater with my family, had my two sons, my daughter, and LaPrel, and we were watching Star Wars. The new Star Wars had come out, was enjoying the movie, and then this thought came to my mind, what, what, what if you run out of money? And, and you don't <laughs> have any money to live on? What if your nest egg runs out? Now, why in the world am I thinking about that during Star Wars? I should be focused on the show. But it kept eating at me and to where I was I was literally nervous. And, and I, I don't know what it was about that movie. And I don't know if any of you as you watch Star Wars started worrying about your retirement. Hopefully not. But I was, and I, and I left, and I worked through it, and it's fine. But we all worry. Bill Gross is a little worried about some of these demographic issues. I'm less worried about demographic issues. I believe that these supply-demand mismatches between producers and consumers are usually solved by the market itself, particularly as foreign and domestic businesses and workers adapt in order to provide the services consumers want and need. So let me, let me sh- share why I'm less worried about it. And, and, and I, Bill Gross ha- has a certain amount of words that he can – sort of his target words for his investment outlook. And I, I'm sure he would – had he had more space, he could have addressed many of these things. One of the things is while dependency ratios are climbing in the developed world, they remain low in emerging and frontier markets in, in Latin America, in portions of Asia. Asia, and certainly in Africa. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the working age population in emerging markets as a percentage of the total developing world is expected to hold steady at about 67% for the next 15 years. And so the dependency ratio there is not increasing. It is increasing in the developed world where the working population as a percent of the total population is now 67%. And it's expected to decline to 58% by 2050. 2050. But what that means is you have all these workers in emerging countries that can make things, can make them. And then those goods and services can be exported to the U.S. and other developed countries, freeing up those workers that are in the U.S. to provide the higher value-added services. And, and so... When we talk about dependency ratios, is there going to be enough workers to produce goods and services for all the retirees? One thing is we we can trade, and so we can get goods and services from other countries. Now, hopefully, as we discussed in Episode 90, we're paying a fair price for those goods and services. Other things that can happen is we can boost the supply of workers by providing additional training for the unemployed or the underemployed in the U.S., and that will in- increase the workforce, can increase productivity. We can allow for more immigration to bring more workers in. That can bring uh, increase the size of the workforce. And finally, this dependency ratio assumes workers stop working and retire at the age of 65. Many in the 65-plus age cohort will continue to work because they want to and because there's jobs. If there's a demand for goods and services and not enough workers, there will be employment opportunities for those older than 65, in which case suddenly the dependency ratio is less meaningful because it's an artificial construct. It's saying 65 and older, retiree, 15 to 64, worker – in reality, there are retirees working, and that will continue to grow as retirees see employment opportunities because they enjoy working, they're going to live longer, and they want or need the money. They want to tap their human capital longer into the future. So as long as there is sufficient productive capacity to meet demand, then inflation should remain muted. Inflation is caused by limited capacity. Huge demands for goods and services, not enough workers and raw goods and factories to produce those. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. Comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. Now let's turn to another worry Bill Gross has that I go back and forth on. Here's his quote. If financial market observers seem aghast at current Greek or Puerto Rican debt traps, they would surely take a double dose of Xanax when confronted with this. Fact, the U.S. government has current outstanding debt of approximately $16 trillion dollars or close to 100% of GDP. The present value, or the the value in today's dollars, however, of Medicaid, $35 trillion, Medicare, $23 trillion, and Social Security, $8 trillion, promised under existing programs totals $66 trillion, or another 400% of GDP. We are broke and don't even know it. Now, Episode 42, I talk it was titled All Countries Are Insolvent. And I, I discussed this idea that the federal government is broke, is insolvent, and why that's a good thing. In other words, how the accounting and the economics work for that. But when you look at those numbers and you say, well, here's the value today of what is owed in today's dollars, and here's the value today of the either the assets the government owns or projected tax revenues. There is a big gap. Should we be worried about that? Yes and no. Where will the federal government get the money to pay the Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare benefits? It won't get the money from anywhere. The federal government... When it comes time to spend on Social Security benefits, they'll credit the bank accounts of seniors by effectively changing the digits on those accounts, just like it does today. When a check arrives, a senior, the Social Security, the balance in their bank account goes up. Money is infinite. It can be spent by changing digits. Now, there's the accounting and bookkeeping aspect of it. If the federal government runs a budget deficit, it will balance its accounting books by issuing treasury bonds, which are bought by households and businesses that want to earn interest by investing those excess funds. That, that's how the system works. You have the accounting aspect and you have the real resources aspect. The concern is as they, if they spend so much, if a federal government spends so much money that there isn't the real resources, the capacity to produce the goods and services that are then spent with the money, too many retirees, not enough workers, then that's, that's a real problem. That's a resource problem. The money itself, the digits, that's an accounting problem that does not mean the federal government can spend anything it wants. It cannot be profligate. It cannot overpromise in terms of its benefits. That's when it gets into trouble. And it can't be, have so many regulations that it creates friction so that the market forces don't work, so that businesses can't effectively take advantage of opportunities. They can't hire who they want. They can't there's a balance. There is a balance. You have to have some regulation to prevent some of these negative externalities or costs that are not paid by businesses, but pushed on to the innocent, like we talked about last week. But you can't have so much regulation that businesses can't function, and they can't provide the needed services. Look at the case of Brazil. Right now, Brazil is suffering. Their federal debt was just downgraded to junk, non-investment grade. The deficit as a percent, the budget deficit, federal budget deficit as a percent of GDP is expected to be 10% or was 10% in 2015. They're suffering stagflation. In other words, inflation is high. They have capacity constraints, yet growth is slowing. And part of that is friction. There's a lot of regulation in Brazil, a typical manufacturing firm spends 2,600 hours a year complying with the country's tax code compared to the average of 356 in Latin America. You have workers, productive workers, retiring at the age of 50 and 55. Typical retiree for a woman in Brazil is 50, for men is 55. Public pensions com- consist of annual pension payments for public pension employees is 11.6% of GDP. There's corruption, there's bribes, there's just not a solid political foundation and it's causing huge suffering in the country. So we can't absolve government. Government, each year, they have to be responsible in terms of that year's budget. No, they don't have to run a balanced budget, but they can't be running, projecting a 10% budget deficit to GDP And at the end of the day, they can't spend so much that real resources and the capacity to produce gets strained. What are some of the investment implications of this demographic data? Well, I recently read a report by Ned Davis Research. It was produced by Alejandro Grindel and Patrick Ayers. It was titled, Where Are the World's Workers? Global, Demographic, and Labor Trends and What They Mean for the Economy and st- inequities. Here are some of the principles that came out of that report. One, countries with working age population as a or a higher working age population as a percent of the total population, notice they have more workers as a percent of the overall population, they have tended to report the fastest economic growth in terms of output or GDP. And holding all things else constant... When dependency ratios are low, for example, there are more people working than consuming, then the output per capita, per capita is higher. So a faster working age population growth has been associated with stronger productivity growth. You have more workers, and particularly if you have workers that are kind of not 35 to 65, if that is growing, that has generally been associated with very high GDP growth as well as better returns for the stock market. Examples of countries with a high working age or has a a large working population, particularly in that 35 to 55 bucket, where workers tend to be a little more productive because they've been doing it longer, are Singapore, Taiwan, China, and South Korea. Those that, that are on the low end of that don't have as many working age Population as a percent of total would include Japan, France, Egypt, and Sweden. There is a, a ratio that they gave in in this study. It's called the my ratio. It was the ratio of those 35 to 49 compared to those 20 to 34. So the mature workers to the young workers. And what they found is as that ratio increased, in other words, the, the, the working population got older in their most productive phase, there was a very high correlation to the return of the stock market, particularly in the U.S. The, the correlation was 0.75. So as that ratio increased, the stock market increased. One reason is that that cohort, that 35 to 49, that tends to be when workers are trying to save their most money and invest it in the stock market. So that push, that that pushes up the price of stocks. It's also when GDP is going very well because output productivity is high, that leads to to economic growth. The areas of the world with the most favorable demographics in terms of worker population growing or at least holding steady. And the percent of the overall workforce kind of in that 35 to 49 bucket tends to be developing market, emerging markets, emerging Asia, emerging Latin America, emerging Middle East. And they are expected to have higher returns for stocks going forward. That's sort of the economic principles. On the Money for the Rest of Us hub, I just updated I do this on a quarterly basis. I looked out 10 years to, to anticipate what is what are reasonable expected returns for stocks. And this is one of the factors I consider. Generally speaking, emerging markets are expected over the next 10 years to have higher returns than developed markets. And a key aspect of this is their economy is expected to grow faster because they have more favorable Demographics: They have a working population that is growing or at least holding steady compared to the developed world where that dependency ratio is increasing over the next 10, 20, or 30 years. Just to put some numbers around that, I'm estimating the nominal annualized return for global stocks over the next 10 years is 6.5%. And that's there's a probable range of 5.2% to 8.4, in a worst-case 10-year scenario of 3.5%. For emerging markets, 10-year expected annualized return is 9%, so higher than that, whereas the expected return for Japan is 5%, because primarily the demographics are more negative for Japan than they are for emerging markets. The other thing that, that can factor in there is what is the current dividend yield, and what is the current valuation? Emerging markets on a valuation perspective are more attractively valued than Japan and some of the other developed market. The U.S. market is, is overvalued when you look at valuation. So that's some of the, the type of information you can get on the Money for the Rest of Us hub. You can, I take those assumptions there's some model portfolios you can use, or you can download a spreadsheet and with up to 24 asset classes, and you can model sort of how your investments are currently allocated to see what is the expected return over the next 10 years, what's the range of returns, and the potential worst case scenarios. You can get that or more information on that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general information only or general education. I'm not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.